Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pats Cast. As always, I'm your host, Stephen Newman, and you're listening to episode nine of the Pats Cast, which will serve as a recap of the Patriots' 18 to 12 loss to the Denver Broncos on Sunday. Uh, I'll share some of my thoughts on the game, just some, some general trends I'm seeing that, good or bad, some of which that need to change, and a brief preview of the Patriots' upcoming game against the San Francisco 49ers. So with that, we will dive into Sunday's game. Uh, again, eighteen twelve 18-12 loss to the Denver Broncos. I guess some things to set that up. Uh, there was, uh, as as I mentioned in my last episode, um, there were a, a few players, Sony Michelle, uh, Shaq Mason, and Derek Rivers, that were um, added late last week to the COVID list, um, in addition to um, Byron Cowart and James Ferentz, who were already there from a little earlier in the week. Uh, obviously, that led to a lot of roster movement. Uh, ahead of Sunday's game, the Patriots um, elevated in some way, shape, or form. There are multiple ways of going about that this year, but they elevated um, offensive lineman Caleb, Bella, Caleb Beninock, um, edge rusher Rashad Berry, wide receiver Isaiah Zuber, who'd been up and down previously from the active roster, as well as, and the same applies to him, um, defensive lineman Nick Thurman. Um, on top of that, as I'd mentioned before as well, they um, they signed uh, free agent defensive tackle Carl Davis to the roster as well. Um, so a lot of new faces, um, different players um, active for the game than typical. Um, all four of the uh, the players from the practice squad, Beninok, Barry, Zuber, and Thurman, were all active for Sunday's game. Uh, Davis, on the other hand, was one of five uh, players that the Patriots made inactive from the roster, uh, as well as um, defensive back Miles Bryant, tight end Dalton Keene, running back J.J. Taylor and quarterback Brian Hoyer. Uh, as I've mentioned before, Bryant and Keene have yet to be active for a game, so nothing is super surprising there, although it's somewhat disappointing uh, that they haven't been active yet, in particular Dalton Keene, because they um, could use uh, a new face at tight end, frankly. They they haven't gotten any production out of the, the tight ends they've been playing, so it's perhaps worth trying. But up to this point, they haven't, and they didn't do so again on Sunday. Uh, obviously, J.J. Taylor is a new inactive. Uh, yeah, it, it, earlier in the season, he'd been... A uh, a depth piece at uh, at running back. In addition to becoming one of the team's primary kick returners, that apparently is no longer. Now that Gunnar Olszewski is back, uh, he's really taken 
uh, slow kick return duties. And Brian Hoyer, don't know that it's necessarily surprising, but, I mean, he did start the Patriots' last game against Kansas City. Uh, Jared Stidham jumped ahead of him. He, he had, albeit kind of marginally, a better performance in the Kansas City game. Uh, yeah, I guess also of note, uh, Jacoby Myers, who had been inactive in the Kansas City game, uh, seemingly um, behind uh, J.J. Taylor, that that flipped. Taylor, uh, as I said, being inactive. Jacoby Myers was active this week. So they went deeper at wide receiver this week than they had the week before. The, the biggest issue, well, really two biggest issues, um, were um, the number of bodies they had um, a defensive tackle, because again, they chose to uh, not make uh, Carl Davis active. So they really only had two true defensive tackles, Lawrence Guy and uh, Adam Butler, who was also entering the game with an injury on top of that. So they were thin there, and they weren't necessarily thin on bodies, but at on the offensive line, but at a minimum, uh, quality bodies, uh, they're down some starters, for sure. David Andrews being on IR, uh, Shaq Mason, as I mentioned, being added to the COVID list, and um, yeah, so that that resulted in quite a bit of shuffling there, and I mean even just. On top of that, the the backups they had, they, they technically had their typical numbers, but I mean, you're talking uh, Corey Cunningham, who hadn't been active for a game at all, all season up to that point. He didn't play at all on, on Sunday either, and neither did um, Beninok, who they brought up from the practice squad. Uh, yeah, so... I guess jumping into uh, specific positions, and we can start with quarterback because, let's face it, that's the position that the national media likes to talk about. And in particular, when the quarterback doesn't play well, it's or when the offense, rather, doesn't play well, it's where it's, it's the where the national media likes to point fingers. Because uh, if they're not moving the ball, uh, in theory, the quarterback is at fault for that. Uh, not necessarily true. And I think that's somewhat true in this case from Sunday's game. Because th- th- there's, there's a lot... Well, Cam Newton wasn't necessarily super productive. Um... There's a lot that goes into that, um, in part because, I mean, for one, he'd been on the COVID list. Like, so obviously, he probably wasn't full strength in that sense. Obviously, he also hadn't been able to have practiced as much as he could have. The whole team really hadn't practiced a whole lot just because the facilities had been shut down at multiple points. A lot of things were virtual. 
And I, I guess in addition, as I mentioned, the offensive line was a completely makeshift unit. Um, and it it wasn't, just to clarify too, it wasn't all bad for Cam Newton either. Um, he was 17 of 25 for 157 yards, which isn't totally atypical of him. Uh, no touchdowns through the air anyway, and did throw two interceptions. Uh, that obviously being a bit, a bit more problematic. He, he did have 10 carries for 76 yards and a touchdown. Uh, overall, he didn't totally look like himself. Uh, he, he, he not only missed some throws, his, uh, arms I'll call it his arm strength I don't know if it's necessarily all tied to arm strength but he short-armed some throws at least again some of that could have just been from not feeling quite right in terms of just his health related to COVID but um and I also I did see even on Twitter um from uh, Evan Lazar from CL- CNL- CLNS Media, uh, d- d- when he was just breaking down some of uh, Cam's plays and throws, and really the uh, last drive in general, uh, that it looked like not only just that some of his throws were off, but they even late in the game had Julian Edelman throw a couple times, which makes you wonder a little bit. I mean, maybe it's just fatigue from, I mean, everything he'd been through the last couple weeks. Maybe it's tied to that bad shoulder that he'd had. It, it, it's, it's hard to speculate really what it was, but there, there, there could be something to that. Um, but yeah, all in all, it was... It wasn't a great performance for Cam Newton. It's hard to pin that all on him, though. And I mean, even on top of that, you you don't have your um, arguably your your top blocking running back in Sony Michelle, which actually did lead to some pressure coming from like Denver safeties. So he didn't play great. He he got no help. Even receivers didn't really give him much in terms of help. So let's let's dial it back on on pinning the loss on him. Uh, and really, even any individual players, because again, they didn't get to practice a whole lot. And Denver actually did. Like they basically had two weeks to prepare for this game. So, and and I may have. Uh, undersold the importance of that leading up to this game. I, I I kind of went into it assuming, well, on paper, the Patriots look better and didn't didn't factor in the 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 practice element. So that that's somewhat on me, somewhat on a lot of people, frankly. Uh, I don't know outside of like Denver local media, I don't know how many people really even took that into account. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's really Cam Newton and I'll skip to the offensive line since I've already touched on it. 
a bit uh, just to to illustrate how crazy that crazy misaligned that unit was. Uh, so what wound up happening was to start the game, they went with uh, Justin Heron at left tackle, Isaiah Wynn at left guard, Joe Thune at center, uh, Michael Owenu at right guard, and Jermaine Illuminor at right tackle. Right off the bat, uh, yes, they were shorthanded, but I really didn't like that decision, honestly. Uh, it seemed like, even even though, yeah, they were shorthanded, there, there were easier fixes to this than what they wound up going with. It, it Just fundamentally, first of all, it's never a good idea to move a player that's among the best at a premium position away from that premium position. And that's really what the Patriots did when they moved Isaiah Wynn from left tackle to left guard. He's one of the better left tackles in the league. I did not understand moving him to a arguably less important position. It just didn't make sense to me. Uh, and even on top of that, Jermaine Illuminor at right tackle up until this season, had really been a guard. Uh, you talk about, I mean, even Heron, to, to put a guy, a rookie, not even drafted that high and inexperienced at left tackle simply because you think that's where the numbers are somehow better or it somehow uh, keeps you from diving further into your depth chart than you want to. Like, I don't even know what the thought process was there, but, but even to, to do that just didn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, it was all around just really weird from that perspective. And just in case what I said was jumbled in some way and didn't make any sense, uh, I will quote a tweet from Jeff Howe from The Athletic. So the, the Pats' offensive line versus Denver. Wynn played left guard and left tackle. Owenu played right guard, right tackle, and left guard. Thune, the starting left guard, played center. Froholt, being yelled at Froholt, uh, his first offensive snaps ever, played right guard. Heron played left tackle and right tackle, and Illuminor Again, a guard from 2017 through 19 played right tackle. That just, that's way too much movement. E even taking out the fact that you're, you're going down the list of linemen you even want to play, there's so many guys just not at their natural positions. It, it was destined to fail, in all honesty. So even if you want to say, yeah, the the offensive line wasn't good enough or again pin it on cam that those decisions just were wrong i don't know how else to put it frankly uh and as i said on twitter it, quoting that tweet you couldn't expect perfect performance with all those changes it just it wasn't reasonable it they they made the wrong decisions 
Uh, and I didn't touch on it, but as Jeff in that tweet mentioned, um, Illuminor, who started the game at right tackle, uh, not long into it, left the game with an injury, uh, which then obviously compounded the issues. It did allow them to move Win back to left tackle. Uh, they went with Heron at right tackle, which was where he played in the most recent game against Kansas City. And, uh, yeah, they stuck Froholt at right guard. So, I mean, it was a little more natural there, but even, like, still, it didn't totally correct all the wrong decisions I thought they made. Uh, I guess if we want to talk quality of the offensive line's play, just excluding the fact that they were in weird positions and all of that. Uh, Isaiah Wynn gave up, uh, according to Howe's metrics, which I actually prefer over uh, like ESPN metrics or next-gen stats. I, I, I like the way he, he approaches these things. It's, just, it's a little bit differently. but So, so Wynn gave up two sacks, two additional quarterback hits, and an additional pressure. So really five different disruptions. Owenu gave up a QB hit and two pressures. Dooney was clean, didn't give up anything. Froholt was almost clean, did give up one pressure. Heron gave up a sack, but nothing else. Uh, Illuminor, in the two series he played, was clean. Uh, yeah, I mean, overall, uh, it, it just it wasn't great. Uh, there was a lot of, a lot they gave up. Uh, Win, in particular. Uh, yeah, I just keep talking about it more and more, but I just I don't understand the idea of putting Win at left guard instead of left tackle. And the only way I can rationalize it at all um, is that. So he did enter the game with a calf injury, and I wonder if they were, in essence, trying to hide him from a premier pass rusher like uh, Bradley Chubb, Th- with the thought process being like, he wasn't mobile enough to block him or something. Uh, that, that's really all I can think of. But even with that, one, he's still on the field. Uh, win was so even if he's not on the top defensive lineman like he's still there's still an impact to having a guy that shouldn't be on the field on the field if that is your thought process and then in addition to that you're making him play a position that he's less familiar with which presents its own problems and it's just yeah it was all around just really weird to me uh was a pleasant surprise to see Froholt play as well as he did. Uh, also makes it seem even weirder that he wasn't playing sooner with all the movement they'd been uh, dealt with. But, I mean, that's that's a positive takeaway, at least. Um, yeah, I guess looking at... Uh, we could skip, I guess, to running backs. Uh, overall, the running game 
wasn't super productive. It wasn't productive at all, really, aside from Cam Newton, again, with the 76 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the rest of the running backs on uh, 15 carries ran for 41 yards. No touchdowns. So that, I mean, that's under three yards a carry. That's... And again, that's partly attributable, largely attributable, really, to the offensive line. But nonetheless, wasn't a great day for the backs. Uh, although James White did have eight catches for 65 yards. And I guess talking through the division of playtime, uh, much like it's much like it was against Kansas City, uh, James White got the majority, uh, 54% of snaps, Burkhead 32%, Damian Harris 21 Uh That's, that's probably just going to be how it's, it's going to be, at least until Sony Michelle comes back. But even then, it's, you, you might even just be uh, replacing Harris with Michelle, keeping the rest the same. Uh, wide receivers... It was ugly. And again, a lot went into that, but just in terms of their numbers, you got three catches for 38 yards out of Demir Bird. You got two catches for eight yards from Julian Edelman. And uh, nothing, and only targeted twice for Nikhil Harry. Uh, Bird still on the field the most of any of them. Uh, 55 out of 57 available snaps. Nikhil Harry for 51 of them, or 89%, and Edelman for 75%. That That's really... That's how it's been all year. It doesn't really look like it's going to change. Uh, other receivers barely get on the field at all. Isaiah Zuber was on the field for five snaps. Uh... Jacoby Myers didn't get on the field at all. Neither did Gunnar Olszewski, at least on offense. Uh, something's going to have to change. I don't necessarily know how they go about it, whether it's just mixing up with the guys they have, trading for somebody, as I've mentioned. All in all, I think the unit is okay. I certainly think it could use an upgrade. I, I do think that uh, the idea that it's just completely not up to par, won't work, absolutely needs to uh, add a number one option. I, I've said it before. I don't agree with that. I think that part of what's going on, for one, Julian Edelman is either aging sooner than, um, quicker than I thought he would or, and what I think is more likely, he's just hurt. He's, I say it every week, but he's been on the injury report with a knee injury like all season. And it's impacted his snap counts. Uh, he's still been out there for most of every game. But I think it's, there's more to it than just the snap counts. I think the reality is 
he's just not physically there. He, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's just less than full strength. And, I mean, it shows up when, in games like on Sunday, uh, he only had two catches, didn't do much of anything. They did try to get him involved in other ways, such as the uh, two passes that he threw. So they're trying. They, they believe that he's still um, a viable starting receiver. I still believe it, too. I just, I don't think he's as, he's fully healthy. Uh, I think with Nikhil Harry, it's really, he's actually the guy, like assuming Edelman is at full strength, he's the guy where I think the creativity like that, not necessarily throwing the ball, but bringing him in motion a bit, or I mean, using him in other ways, even as a, a potentially even a, a lead blocker, if they want to get more creative with their, um, their running schemes like bring him in motion as a lead blocker, almost fullback type. Uh, I mean, he can do that. He has the uh, physical traits to do it. But just in a broader sense, they need to try to do more because he's not the type of guy that you can just line up out wide and let get open. There are ways that you can just let him use his size to create his own throwing lane, but he's not going to really beat a lot of corners and just create space for himself. Yeah, they got to find a way to manufacture him touches. And they certainly didn't do it in this game. So that's that's one area where I will criticize... uh, I guess Josh McDaniels just for not having enough creativity in that sense. Now with Demir Bird, that's an interesting one to me because I actually don't think he's played poorly. He's not really dropping passes and he's getting open. He's just not getting the ball. That's where I think, and there are some chemistry issues I feel like I've seen between Newton and receivers. I think and it's odd to me because they've been teammates in the past. But I think that's the the greatest example of, of where the chemistry is just not there. Or Cam, for whatever reason, just isn't able to get him the ball. Maybe he's hurt. I, I, I don't know. But Bird, Bird gets open fairly often. And fairly often, he's not thrown the ball while open. Uh, it's It's puzzling to me. But I think the idea that because he's not productive means you have to trade for a better receiver, I, I, I think that's flawed logic. The reality is they just have to find ways to get him the ball when he's open. It, it, it's, it's really not that complicated, I don't think. But so, I mean, could they trade for somebody? Yeah. Could they try to experiment around differently with the guys they have, like playing Jacoby Myers or Gunnar Olszewski a little more? Yeah. But I honestly don't think those top three are as, as bad as people are making them out to be. There's there, there are other underlying issues there that with time can, can honestly be resolved. I just – it hasn't happened yet, at least not consistently. The only time it really happened was in the Seattle game that they almost won on Sunday night back in week two, I believe. 
No, week three. Week three. Um, going to tight ends. It's a similar issue. Uh, it might be time to move on from Ryan Izzo. Uh, he had... He did have three catches for 38 yards in this game, including a 16-yarder. But just overall, they put him on the field a lot, and it doesn't result in a lot of statistical production. This week might actually, the claim I'm making, it might just be a bad example because it wasn't as bad. He, like, he caught all three of his targets, and he wasn't even on the field quite as much, only 61% of snaps. So he actually was fairly efficient this week. But you can still get more. And especially when other receivers aren't getting the ball much, you kind of need more from somewhere. And I'd rather it not just be from James White, who again had eight catches this week. Uh, I guess my my bigger issue is with uh, Devin Asiasi, who was on the field for 42% of snaps. Uh, And still, all season now, he's yet to have a pass go his way. And I've seen as well, um, again, from from multiple people, actually, Evan Lazar, as well as Doug Kide from from Nesson, uh, numerous plays where, in this game, he was open, very open, and Cam Newton just didn't throw him the ball. Like, at a certain point, the only way to create chemistry with guys is by giving them opportunities to form it. Like if you don't, if you don't throw a, a guy the ball when he's wide open, like it's it's just it's just never going to happen. So that's something that certainly needs to, I think, change. Uh, I don't necessarily know who to pin that on, whether it's Cam, whether it's. Josh McDaniels, like, I don't know. Uh, but I do think, in addition, I mentioned Dalton Keene earlier. I think he needs to be active. I, I really do. Um, like I said, I don't know how much longer just riding it out with Izzo works. I also don't, and as I, as I mentioned, I think there needs to be more creativity with the way they use uh, blocker, lead blockers in motion or just anything really and Dalton King can do a lot of things I think that's and that's really that's huge when you're trying to be more creative like uh he he can line up and he did it in college as a fullback as a, an inline tight end you can bring him in motion he can he can carry the ball as essentially a running back uh, he's a good blocker you can catch like there's there's just so many options with him and to not even try to utilize them like in not even in the sense of Asiasi where you're just not giving him the ball but you're at least putting him on the field they're not even doing that with Dalton Keene I really I don't understand that that's with as little as they're getting from that group somebody that can provide as much as he can even if it's at a low volume, just numerous different methods. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to utilize it, but it's not my decision ultimately. Overall, and I know I kind of 
hammered the offense. Uh, I mean, they, they came within one score of winning the game. So while it wasn't good necessarily, Denver's defense wasn't terrible. As I said, it was they were more prepared for the game just physically. It's It wasn't a good performance necessarily, but it wasn't terrible. And there were a lot of reasons why it's it doesn't seem like it's something that the Patriots would repeat. So I wouldn't worry about it a ton necessarily going forward. There's still some things I, I think should change though. Like don't go back to that um, offensive line alignment that they started the game with. Just don't. Uh Try, try and implement more creativity in multiple ways, such as I think with Dalton Keene would be a great way to do it, or at least throw Devin Asiasi the ball more. Uh, yeah, start looking for Demir Bird, like, at all. Um, yeah. The bright spot, I suppose, was the defense uh, somewhat. They did give up six scores, uh, all of them were field goals, but still, the the Broncos were able to move the ball on them. Uh, but, I mean, if you just look at, like, statistically, the Broncos weren't particularly productive. Uh, I mean, you could start with the quarterback, Drew Locke, was, and it was a very Belichickian defensive performance in that regard. Drew Locke, uh, a second-year quarterback, was 10 of 24 for 189 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, was also sacked a couple times. Uh, yeah, he... The consistency wasn't there. It wasn't 100% on him. Like I mentioned, the defense just played well. But, I mean, they, they capitalized off a young quarterback that isn't... that do, That doesn't have the ultimate uh, football IQ. Not not to say that he can't develop it, but he's just young. Uh, it's just not fully there. And they, they capitalized off mistakes he made. Uh, they The Broncos didn't run the ball particularly well. It was okay. Uh, Philip Lindsay was their lead back. He carried the ball 23 times for 101 yards, no touchdowns. He averaged almost four and a half yards a carry. Uh, which is pretty good. It's not earth-shattering by any means. And the team as a whole averaged basically three and a half yards a carry. They ran the ball 37 times, too. They ran it 37 times, only threw it 24. That gives you an idea of, I mean, not only what their game plan was, but it, it, it reinforces, I guess, that the Patriots are a lot better in coverage then against the run, in particular in a game like this where you are down one of your defensive tackles, you're just playing smaller up front in general. That just that that makes it easier to to pound the ball inside via the run. Uh, so they did. Wasn't necessarily unexpected, but I mean, all things considered, the Patriots did pretty well against the run. Uh, I guess talking about. Uh, specific players, I, I guess we could go into. Uh, so obviously, the Patriots at tackle, defensive tackle, 
only really had Lawrence Guy and Adam Butler. Uh, again, they technically had uh, Nick Thurman from the practice squad as well. He didn't see the field on defense, though, and even if he would have, it would have only been for a handful of snaps. Uh, Lawrence Guy was on the field for 77%, Butler for 31 Butler, again, uh, coming into the game, battling an injury, so it's kind of understandable that they limited his reps a bit. Uh, on top of the fact that, and I saw a um, a chart, it may have even been a couple weeks ago now, but it, it would still hold up, that he is, um, well, very frequently he draws double teams, like a lot, and he's still productive against it. So the chart basically showed that um, among defensive tackles with a certain number of snaps, essentially being starting type defensive tackles. He was uh, that combination of drawing a lot of double teams and being productive against them. The only defensive tackle better than him in those two areas combined was Aaron Donald, who is widely considered, I mean, if not the best defensive lineman in the league, probably the best defensive player, and depending on who you ask, maybe just the best football player in the league. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's saying a lot. Uh, and, um, so, I mean, he was still productive while he was on the field, but, I mean, he's asked to do a lot. And when you're injured, if you want to get that same type of production from him, the best way to do it is by limiting how often he's on the field because he'll tire out less easily. Uh, yeah, so Lawrence Guy was on the field a lot. And one of the other things that happened, which actually confused me at first, was they played uh, bigger across the rest of the defensive line. Like, they didn't play true edge rushers as much. Uh, like, Chase Winovich was only on the field for 22 snaps. And it's really because if you have to play smaller inside a defensive tackle because, uh, again, they were down Byron Cowart, uh, it, it forced them to play... I mean, defensive ends inside. And Winovich being a defensive end, if you try to bump him inside, that it just exploits the fact that he's not physically there. It, it's not utilizing his, his best traits either, which are, I mean, as an edge rusher. So they wound up going with um, John Simon uh, 81% of the time, 81% of snaps, Shalik Calhoun was actually on the field for 84%, which is the most he's gotten so far this year. You had Dietrich Wise also over half. Uh, that was the rationale with that. They needed, they needed to be bigger at defensive end because they were giving up size to defensive tackle, really. Uh, so, And it actually did also lead to them using Anthony Jennings more than they ever have, almost half the snaps on defense as a um, a true like edge rusher, really. Uh, you could argue that maybe they could have played Winovich more and used him in that role 
as a true edge rusher as opposed to what they tried to do, which was use him a bit more inside, which was just more taxing on him. But again, all in all, the, the defense was fine, so I won't complain too much with that. That's just something that they they tried and was a, somewhat effective, but I don't think they'll go back to it as much as they did in the Denver game going forward. Uh, I guess looking at the rest of the defense, obviously Jawan Bentley was pretty much the Iron Man at linebacker. Uh, same goes for guys like Stephon Gilmore, uh, Jonathan Jones. Not as much J.C. Jackson this week, which I think is a little questionable. But again, the passing game didn't do much, so it still worked out. Uh, J- Jason McCourty still down in snaps, which honestly I think is a, a not a bad thing. Uh, just compared to the rest of the corners, uh, I mean, if you look at their um, numbers in coverage, uh, Stephon Gilmore, again, according to uh, Jeff Howe of The Athletic, Stephon Gilmore, when targeted, Locke was 0, th- 0 for 3 against him, no completions in, in three targets. There was a holding called on him. It was honestly bogus. Uh when thrown against Jonathan Jones, he was one for seven. Uh, there was one 16-yard completion. Uh, Jones also had an interception and two pass breakups. Great game for Jones. Uh, J.C. Jackson wasn't perfect. He the, There were um, two completions on him in five attempts for 43 yards. But he also had an interception and two pass breakups. Uh, even if you look at safeties, Devin McCourty, uh, one time he was thrown on incomplete. Kyle Duggar, one for two. It was a 27-yard completion. Uh, Jason McCourty, though, uh, was only thrown at once, which is somewhat maybe a sign of respect or maybe just they didn't trust the receivers as much. The one throw on him was a completion, 41 yards to Tim Patrick, who I touched on in my preview. I wasn't honestly that high on him. I may have just been wrong on him. One thing, though, that he is good at is uh, go routes, essentially just uh, deep flies downfield. And Patrick got McCourty on that. Uh, And frankly, since he was technically their number two receiver, even if I don't love him, I don't think McCourty at this point should be on top two receivers for any team. It just, it doesn't make sense. You'd put Gilmore and Jackson on the top two guys. Uh, Maybe Jones if the matchup calls for it in the slot or something, but not McCourty. I I don't see the need for that. Uh, Obviously, Adrian Phillips is where he's normally at, 80%. Uh, Kyle Duggar was on the field close to half. And as I mentioned, played decently in coverage and also just at the more linebacker level. Uh, Terrence Brooks played a little more than normal, and Jawan Williams actually didn't get on the field in defense. Little interesting, but at the same time, with as I mentioned in my preview, Noah Fant, the tight end, not playing. There really wasn't much of a tight end presence, so you didn't really have a need for a 
tight end cover guy. So they just didn't go there. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned with the defense, overall, decent showing. They tried some new things. Some of them worked. Some of them didn't. I did like Anthony Jennings playing more. Uh, he He reminds me a good bit, not entirely, but a good bit of Kyle Van Noy in that he's... He's an outside linebacker. He's not a true pass rusher. He's essentially a hard edge type of player, meaning that, I mean, it's keep outside contain. They'll sometimes cut him loose to get some pressure on the quarterback. Not as much with the expectation of a sack as simply forcing him to move. Uh, but again, keeping outside leverage. And against the run game, just... Like I said, set in that hard edge, make them run inside, let the guys inside clog up the lane. Uh, it was effective with Van Noy. If Jennings can be more or less that same type of player, uh, you'd be happy. He does, like Van Noy as well, have some ability to slide inside. Don't want to do it a ton. But, I mean, even if you think Van Noy, he was the primary inside linebacker for the Patriots in 2017. If you needed it, I doubt you would, but if you did need it, Jennings could could play inside linebacker in a pinch. Like I said, though, better as an edge player. And they, they went to that a bit in um, the Denver game. And it's somewhat of a trend, actually, because thinking back to the Kansas City game, he had his previous uh, high and snap count in that game. He's trending in the right direction, which is certainly good to see for him. Juwan Bentley, I mean, I touched on him being on the field constantly, but he also was more productive than he typically is. Uh, He had 12 tackles, and actually Adrian Phillips had 11 tackles as well. So that level played really well. Uh, He also had uh, two QB hits and a couple tackles for loss. Which really just speaks to my point that while you don't want to, I mean, make him run side to side because he doesn't have great speed, he doesn't cover ground great, you don't want him in pass coverage. If you can isolate him as a downhill either pass rusher or run stuffer, just run to the line of scrimmage and hit somebody, he's really good in that role. He's every bit as good as Landon Roberts and possibly better in that capacity. So, I mean, that's really what they, what they did in this game, and it worked out. Uh, that, that's, that's the role he needs to play in the future, and if there are matchups where that's just not going to fly, maybe you play an Anthony Jennings instead. Get a little more uh, side-to-side um, athleticism. Uh, yeah, the Patriots overall did a good job, too, against who I guess is the Broncos' top receiver, Jerry Judy. He uh, was only targeted five times, and even of those five times, only caught two for 32 yards. Uh, it looked like Gilmore was on him a good bit, but not the entire game. They, they, they held him in check. Uh, Tim Patrick's the only guy that got him. He had four catches for 101 yards. Uh, almost half of that, again, coming on the, uh, the 41-yarder that Jason McCourty allowed. But still, he had an impact. The tight ends really didn't. I think they had 
three catches between them all. I mean, not too dissimilar from the Patriots, frankly. But they they had no trouble with the tight ends, which they shouldn't with Noah Fant out. Uh, looking at special teams, Jake Bailey had a Jake Bailey game. Averaged almost 50 yards per punt. Had one that went 60 yards, and two of his three punts were down inside the 20. He's about as reliable as they come. No touchbacks either, because that always hurts that always hurts field position. So, yeah, can't really ask for a whole lot more from him. Nick Folk also, should mention, made both of his field goal attempts, including a 41-yarder. So I've gotten on him in the past for not being the best, frankly. But he, he did his job in this game. Uh, Gunnar Olszewski, talking about uh, kick returns, he uh, brought out three, averaged almost 26 per return, had one that went 33 yards. That one was actually a good return. I did notice there was another, arguably two, but one in particular where he just shouldn't have taken the ball out of the end zone. He was halfway in the end zone, didn't get to the 20 for one, and I think he was even downed inside the 15. That's just, you You can't give up field position like that. That's something that, I mean, I think he'll learn with time, but he also is a bit aggressive in that sense. So something to work on, but, I mean, good, good to have him back, if nothing else, because he does give you um, an added element as, I mean, he's more explosive than what the, they had at kick returner without him. Uh, yeah, so just as a whole, we're going to chalk this game up to just a one-off bad game for multiple reasons. Uh, may have not taken the opponent as seriously as they should have. Definitely weren't as well conditioned as they typically are based on, I mean, multiple factors, including just everyone not being able to practice consistently. It was a little on and off. And... Yeah, there's just a, a lot that they, they um, can take from this game and learn from going forward, uh, including entering their uh, upcoming game against the San Francisco 49ers, which I'm not going to get into too deeply because this episode's already running a little longer than I wanted it to. But, I mean, just general principles, the 49ers are going to want to run the ball a bit. And when they're not running the ball, they're going to be looking for yards after catch. Uh, I mean, essentially runs, throwing balls not more than a couple yards downfield and just letting guys run. So you're not going to have to worry a lot about uh, defending downfield passes. It's going to be more about tackling, and uh, particularly tackling in space because they're not going to run between the tackles a whole lot. Uh, just one, I guess, minor, couple minor notes, actually. Uh, obviously the 49ers, that's Jimmy Garoppolo. So get to play the old backup quarterback. Uh, in addition to it being a, um, a rematch, I suppose, against Kyle Shanahan, their head coach, who was the offensive coordinator of the Falcons back when they faced off in the Super Bowl. Uh, he's gonna, I'd imagine, want some revenge for the way that game turned out. In the end, uh, yeah, overall, 
the 49ers are a decent team. They're a banged up team, not particularly healthy, but they did look better on Sunday night against the Rams in all areas, really. Jimmy looked about as good as he's looked all year. The defense looked good. The receivers, particularly Debo Samuel, that's an important one. Uh, He looked much more like he did the end of last year as just, I mean, not only catching the ball, but his uh, run after the catch ability, uh, it it can be a problem. So it's going to be something that the Patriots are going to want to monitor and uh, just be um, be geared up to stop. Uh, obviously, they got George Kittle at tight end, one of the best in the league. That's going to be... They're going to have to figure out how they're going to want to cover him. It'll probably be pretty similar to Travis Kelsey, meaning a rotation of guys, but not strictly the young safeties. Although they'll probably take them at times. And yeah, the 49ers are a pretty disciplined team too. So certainly that aspect as well. Uh, I will look into the 49ers deeper throughout the week. Although frankly, I do think I have already a pretty solid idea of who they are, what they're going to do, but just to get a little better sense as well as so I just have more time to talk about it because, again, running a little long here. So I guess we can wrap up this episode of the Pat's Cast. Uh, Obviously, thanks so much for listening. As always, I will have a written article to accompany this um, episode on my blog site where you can also find my podcast past written content on the Patriots, as well as future content. That site is smnewman48.wixsite.com slash sports with Steven. And of course, you can also follow along with me on Twitter at Newman's Patcast, at Newman Patscast. That's N-E-W-M-A-N-P-A-T-S-C-A-S-T. And of course, if you like this episode or any other episodes and would like to, uh, to follow them more directly, you can always subscribe to this podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else where you may listen to podcasts. Thanks so much, and I hope to have you back in the future.